This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Good morning. My name is Ron, and uh, welcome to New Life. Uh, Let me give you just a little bit of the lay of the land. Uh, On the inside of your program, you'll find uh, a half page of notes that has fill-in-the-blank kind of things. That will guide you through what I'm going to say Uh, Over the next several minutes, we have a very, very interesting and important topic to talk about this morning, the concept of priorities. I hope you came to learn. Uh, In fact, I want to talk to you for just a minute about two things about this church that I really love. And I mean, this could be a long list. I'm just going to talk about two this morning. One is, um, I don't think I've ever been part of a church that's, I, I don't even know the right word, you guys are the doingest bunch of people I know. It's just fun to watch you in, in operation. And every time I go over to the Clegg Street property, there's just a bunch of people over there, and they're all doing things. And I was watching one lady in particular who came over there, I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday, and vacuumed the entire auditorium with a household vacuum. Can I tell you, that's a lot of pushing and shoving. That, that was truly amazing. Um, looks nice, though. Looks very, very nice. And uh, so it just reminded me, and it's not just working on the property, but it's working in ministry. Uh, it's it's. Uh, we had 19 guys who were up on a whitewater rafting trip over the weekend, and as far as I know, they all made it back safely and uh, and had a great time. And it's just... The life of this church is truly an amazing life. And uh, it just reminds me that God has enabled you to grab life by the horns and live it to the full. And for those of you who are new to new life and, and just on the fringes, we want to invite you into the mainstream and the flow of the church because what God has planned for us is not just great as a church, it's great individually. And it's getting the most out of every day of life. And part of the reason why God does that in us as a church and in us individually is because, well, I had a, I have a good pastor friend who actually is in India. And he came and visited New Life uh, one Sunday. Actually, he's been here several times. Many of you know John Gabriel. But after the first Sunday he had been here, he, he made two observations about the church. He said, that's a really healthy church. And I said, well, I'm delighted to hear that. How would you know that? He said, well, two things. He said, number one, those people like to be together. He said, you know, when church was done, they didn't all just head for the exits. It's like they just hung around and talked and talked and talked and talked. And you could tell when they greeted each other, no one was just giving a nice little polite handshake. But they really enjoyed being together. And then he said the second thing, he said, I rarely observe in a church, everyone listened. It was was like everyone was paying attention. Um, That's pretty good stuff. Let me give you an example. I got this email this week. It said, after Sunday's message, I went home and I made it a priority to look at my day in a new light. Right above my daily to-do stuff, I wrote your challenge. What am I really hungry or thirsty for today? 
Now, just seeing that statement as my day starter begins my thought process of, it's God that I'm hungry for. It's positive thoughts and a Christ-like mind I'm thirsty for. Then at the end of the day, I wrote the other two statements that challenged me. First, we need to trust the will of God in our lives. And second, what is God's plan for my life today? Just saying these few lines and reviewing the ideas bouncing around in my heart at the day's end prompts me to rely on Jesus even more to review the day and what it held for me through God's plan. You know, when a church is filled with people like that, there's nothing God can't do through that church. Would you agree with that? Very true, very true. So for those of you who come here every single week, obviously I want to welcome you. You're already somewhat in the mainstream and the flow of the church. And if there's anything in that email that challenges you, then I would encourage you to let it challenge you. And for those of you who might be new to New Life or just coming into the church or maybe here for the very first time, I want to invite you to listen. I want to invite you to learn. I want to invite you to put into practice in your life what we're going to talk about today because I could not talk to you about a subject that's more important than priorities. You see, on the inside of you, you have what I call an internal list, the scale of priorities. And it determines everything that you're going to do or say, whether it's big or small in this day, God created you with this internal mechanism that somehow every time you have a response, every time you make a decision, that you either consciously or subconsciously weigh it against that scale of internal priorities and out pops whatever your decision or response is. I was faced with one of those this morning. Had several things to do after I got to the office this morning was putting the finishing touches on the sermon and trying to get it all in my mind and my heart and pray through it and all that sort of stuff. And, and so um, I looked down at my watch and, and it was three minutes till eight and I try to get here at, at this property at eight o'clock. And so everything on the inside of me wanted to fold up shop, jump in the car and come here. But there's one other thing that I really like to do on Sunday morning. And that is, you guys all turn in prayer requests. Well, not all of you, but many of you do. Uh, we get probably an average of 10 pages, maybe more than that, of typewritten prayer requests every week. That's another thing I like about this church. It's just a rare church that has that level of prayer requests. Well, one of the things that I like to do, I pray through them earlier in the week, but I like to pray through them the last thing before I come here. So I had a choice to make. Was I going to be late and come here after 8 o'clock? Or was I going to take the time to pray through the prayer requests? You understand how priorities work? So I had to take that and, and weigh that against the scale of my priorities and say, which was more important to me, to be here on time or to take the time to pray through those prayer requests one more time? Now, if you thought about it, in your life every day, you have thousands of those moments. What I want to talk to you about 
is that internal scale of priorities. Because that's what Jesus addresses in a most unusual and unique way in the story we're going to read this morning. But before I get in and read the story, I want to give you two very important principles about the scale of priorities. So let's take a look at the screen. First one is this, that the smaller word in priorities is the word prior. Now that's a really important concept. You see, a priority is is a guiding principle in your life that has been set at a prior time. Here's one of the big myths of life, and that is, I can do today whatever I feel like doing, and at a later time, if, if, if I want a different behavior, I'll simply choose a different behavior at that time. That's not how life works. You see, whatever you do today helps set the priorities for tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Hence, the smaller word inside priority is prior. Now, Jesus addressed this in Luke chapter 6. He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Did he store it up after this or before it? What do you think? Before, of course. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Hmm. Have you ever had something pop out of your lips? You already know where that's going, don't you? And you're going, where did that come from? Well, there's your answer right there. You go, I'm not an evil person. No, you don't intend to be. Yeah. But somehow you've stored that up in your heart because, you know what Jesus said at the very end? For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Wow. One of the greatest things that you could do with this day is lay the foundation for tomorrow. And one of the greatest things you could do with tomorrow is lay the foundation for the day after that. Because that is how priorities are set. That internal scale, you're not probably going to get to choose today. You chose it by what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. And the only way to modify that scale of priorities is do something different with today so that that scale of priorities is adjusted for tomorrow. Now, here's the second thing that you need to know about priorities. And that is pressure tests and reveals our true priorities. You see... What you really have on the inside is actually two scales of priorities. The first one is the one that you would like to have and are probably working toward. And when you have time and there's no pressure in life and you can think about it logically and no one is yelling or screaming at you, you can take the time to sort through and weigh your response against the priorities that you're working toward and would like to have. I call that the desired list. Okay? But when the pressure is on, (laughs) then you're going to behave according to the actual list. Let me give you an example. Pastor walks out of his office 
as he's walking down the street, he sees a young boy next to a very used lawnmower with a for sale sign on the lawnmower. So as he walks by, he says, selling your mower? And the boy says, yeah, I got a bicycle I, down at Goodwill I want to buy. And, and my dad says, if I can sell this lawnmower, then I can go buy the bicycle. Well, the pastor senses an opportunity perhaps to make that young boy's day. So he says, how much do you want for your mower? He says, well, the bike's 20 bucks, so I'm trying to sell the mower for 20 Now the pastor sees a real opportunity. He doesn't really need the mower, but he figures for 20 bucks he can make the boy happy and he can give the lawnmower to somebody that really needs it. He can make two people happy for 20 bucks. Well, that's a good deal. So he peels out a fresh 20, he gives it to the kid, and he says, can I start my mower before, before I go? And the kid said, sure. So the pastor reaches down and he pulls a couple of times on the rope and it doesn't start. And he reaches down and he pulls out the choke and he pulls a couple more times and it doesn't start. And he pushes the choke in and he pulls a couple more times and he just can't get the thing started. He turns to the boy and says, how do you start this thing? And the kid says, well, my dad says you have to cuss at it. And the pastor said, cuss at it? He said, why, it's been so long since I've said a cuss word, I probably couldn't remember one. The boy said, you just keep pulling on a rope. It'll come back to you. (laughs) You understand what pressure does to priorities? Yeah. Pressure not only tests our priorities, it actually reveals what the actual list is as compared to the desired list. So let's take a look at this story out of the life of Jesus, the Bible account, and let's let's take a look at it just from the light of priorities. And there's many different ways that we could approach this particular story, but for this morning it's about priorities. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees, and for those of you who didn't grow up in church, Pharisees were a group of Jews that prided themselves in legalistic righteousness. They had more rules than any other group of Jews. They could find something wrong with everything. They defined how far you could walk on the Sabbath. They defined exactly how many pounds. They didn't measure it in pounds, but you and I would. How many pounds you could lift on the Sabbath before it became work. They they defined how much you could cook on the Sabbath before it was work. And then, of course, they invented rules for how to get around all of those rules. As And as long as you went through the right loopholes, and I mean, they were... They were wacky, okay? Let me give you an example. They decided that it was five-eighths of a mile that you could walk on the Sabbath before it became work. But what happens if somebody you want to visit lives a mile away? So then what they, they came up with was, well, where does your house begin and end? And does it start from the front door of your house? Does it start from the edge of your property? Of course, you would have to figure that out. So then they decided, you know, if I could go to my buddy's house that lives a half a mile away and he would allow me to put a threshold on the corner of his property, then that five-eighths of a mile doesn't begin until I've walked a half a mile to the threshold. You realize how wacky that is? Okay? Now, these were people who came to hear Jesus And if you've ever studied the life of Jesus, you know he gave a very simple message, not a complicated one. So this is how it gets interesting. 
So some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Now, these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem. Do you think that they had probably agreed together to show up all on the same day? I think they had. I think it would be highly unusual. They would just kind of all accidentally show up there at once. You know what this is? This is the Gestapo who's come to check up on Jesus. All right? Now, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. I want to give you three words or three phrases that let's focus on out of that particular thing. And the first one is this, priorities. What do I mean? Well, you would assume that if these were teachers of religious law and Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth, one would assume right up front that the reason that these people are here is that they are there to learn. Because after all, let's just say I was visiting with one of the guys on the way in this morning who happens to like to work with wood, and I happen to like to work with wood. Now, let's just suppose that a master craftsman comes to our town, and we have the opportunity to go there and watch him build something and learn. We're going to go. And if you came there and you saw us there, you would assume that we are there to learn from this master craftsman. You probably wouldn't assume that the two of us showed up to make sure that that guy really knew what he was doing. Yeah. So that's the first thing that you would assume from the concept of priorities. The second thing that you should notice is that they were sitting. As we'll see later, this is most inappropriate. And the reason it's most inappropriate is because the place where Jesus was teaching was a house, and the house was so crowded that no one could get in. There were literally people standing in a crowd outside the house trying to hear a word that Jesus was teaching, and yet this large group of people, what were they doing? Hey, bring me a chair, please. I'll sit. Now, right away, you know, they weren't listening too well to what Jesus was teaching because Jesus taught consistently a lifestyle of unselfishness and service to others, but these guys were not buying it. In spite of the fact there was no room for people, they were going to sit anyway. So the third thing that you see in this passage, and that is this. It was healing power. The power of the Lord was with Jesus in a mighty way that day. Now, we don't know how you would know that, but one would assume that if the power of the Lord was very present in Jesus' life on that day to heal people, one would assume that he had already healed a number of people, and therefore that statement was made. I would assume that to be the case. In fact, it's probably the reason the large crowd of people had gathered because Jesus healed a few people that others figured were well past the point of healing and were beyond hope and they came into Jesus and Jesus healed them and paralyzed people got up and walked and, and, and just all sorts of things were taking place. No wonder this big crowd came around Jesus. Now, Let's take a look, because here we have the first illustration of, of Jesus' priorities. And illustration number one is this. Jesus had a higher priority 
than orthodoxy. You see, the, the guys that were gathered around him sitting in those chairs had not come to learn. They had come to check up on Jesus. You know what they wanted to know? They wanted to know, we've heard all about this young teacher, this young miracle worker, and we have come today to find out if he toes the line when it comes to theological orthodoxy. In other words, does he teach what all the other religious teachers teach and what all the other Jewish teachers teach? Because we want to find out if he walks in the wisdom of the masses or whether he's a loose cannon out there. By the way, you and I have that choice to make every day. And Jesus set such a wonderful example for us right here. Okay? Because Jesus said... I will not take my mind and turn my mind off and simply parrot what every other teacher is saying and fall in line with all the other teachers. Now, because he was God in the flesh, obviously he had an insight into things that the other teachers didn't have. But when it comes to our own lives, here's what the Bible says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. I, I want to pull over to the side and talk about that for a minute. Because do you realize that virtually everyone in the crowd assumes that the crowd is right? It's not very often a crowd gets together and says, we are going to do something wrong. Anybody want to be in on this? No, normally... The crowd believes that they're doing right. When a crowd gets together to protest something, they're protesting something they believe to be wrong in order to support something that they believe to be right. When a crowd gets together to march in support of something, they're marching in support of something they believe to be right. Now, even in a much more subtle way, in every culture, there is what I would call the conventional wisdom of the masses. Let me give you a couple of examples. Parents, how are you going to raise your children? I'm continually amazed at how many parents draw most of their cues for parenting by just looking around and seeing what other parents do and assuming that what other parents do is right. Every kid in the world says this to their parents. Everybody else is. What's the rest of it? <laughs> and therefore it can't be wrong. He can't be unwise. Everybody else is doing it. And many parents go, okay. They choose the television programs that their children watch by what everybody else's kid is watching. They choose the movies their kids go to 
by the movies everybody else's kids go to. They choose the music their kids listen to by the music everybody else's kids listen to. Now, listen to what I want to say to you. We live in a culture where there's not just a generational gap. There's generational animosity. You know what that means? We live in a culture where drug use and abuse is a huge problem among teens and, and even further. We live in a culture where teenage suicide is a real problem. And yet, where do we go for guidance? Well, we go to orthodoxy. What everybody else is doing, we do it. Now listen, if we do what everybody else is doing, we're going to get the results. Everybody else is, yeah. Friends, there's a better way to live than that. And I want to challenge all of you to rise above orthodox parenting. As a parent, you have to make some hard and fast decisions. I want to challenge you, not just to swallow hook, line, and sinker everything that everybody else is doing. And you'll have to make what are some unpopular decisions, not only with your own kids, but with other parents. Because you will find other parents will put pressure on you to do. You know, let me give you a tiny little example. When our kids were young, Monica and I made a conscious decision that we would never allow our children to play with guns in any way that that would represent a value we would not want them to carry in adult life. So they were not going to get guns and play cowboys and robbers and shoot each other. Can't you laugh at that and say, eh, in the grand scheme of life, that didn't make any difference. Well, it made a difference to us. So we decided that that just wasn't going to happen at our house. We were going to train our children to think and act in ways that were good, not in ways that were bad. Now, you think that was a popular decision by other parents, even in the church? Your kids come on and can't play guns at our house? What are you doing to your kids? Okay, I want to challenge you to rise above orthodoxy. You don't, certainly don't have to take that value. If that's not one that God lays on you. Let me move into a little different arena, okay? And that's the arena of marriage. Now, I want, you to, I want to tell you right up front, we live in a culture where one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. So if you do what is considered orthodox and usual and normal in our culture, what are your chances of succeeding? One out of two. Okay? Now, here's a value that's considered orthodox in our culture. And that is living together before you get married in spite of the fact that virtually every 
survey that has come back in the last 20 years has indicated that people who live together or sleep together before they get married don't experience the quality of sex life that people do who don't choose to do that. Okay? That in spite of the fact that God's very clear in His Word that that belongs in marriage and only in marriage. I'm not here to condemn anybody who has chosen differently, but I can tell you that if you will choose to walk in and follow what God says, it will pay huge dividends in your life or you can listen to the wisdom of the masses and say, you know, I'm not sure God's right on this one. I'm getting pressure to do otherwise. And you'll get that pressure. Now, in this setting, these guys were here exerting all kinds of pressure on Jesus to fit in with the conventional wisdom of the day. And Jesus was saying, no, I don't choose to do that. Here's the teaching principle or the life principle. Don't be orthodox or unorthodox, but be more than orthodox. I know some Christians who take great delight in being unorthodox, okay? And in parentheses, you could just put the word weird. Okay? Jesus didn't say, be weird. He just said, don't get swallowed up in the stream of conventional wisdom and orthodoxy because oftentimes it's not headed in a good direction. You can be greatly deceived in that flow. So don't be orthodox or unorthodox. Be more than orthodox. And and just let God work at applying that in your life this week. Now the rest of the story goes like this. So men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up onto the roof and they took off some tiles. You know, the Bible doesn't say what happened here, but you know, this is my favorite part of the story. Because you have to see Jesus. These guys want to get this guy right in front of Jesus. So they're kind of able to peer in the windows to know where in the house Jesus is. They get up on the roof and they want to get this guy right down in front of Jesus. So not right over Jesus, but right in front of Jesus, they start taking the tile off of the roof. Now who is it that's sitting right in front of Jesus? And who is it that can't leave now because of the great big crowd that's massed around the house? And have you ever sat under someone when they took the tile off the roof? Yeah. I just think it's funny, okay? (laughs) Now, notice what happens. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man... Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Wow. Why do you question this in your hearts? 
By the way, all the way through this, you know how patient God is? God is doing everything He can to try to help these Pharisees open their hearts. Number one, He gave them a front row seat to Jesus. Number two, God's power to heal was present in a very powerful way that day so that these men could see firsthand that Jesus wasn't just a human being who kind of was leading people with his charismatic character, but that he had divine power that no human had ever had before. You look at this particular thing, and, and, and Jesus says he forgives this man's sins, and right away these guys are thinking, they didn't say it, but they were thinking, you can't do that. And yet, you know something? Jesus read their thoughts and he began to address their concerns as if he knew their minds. You know, once again, being confronted with God's divine power. And by the way, God will do the same thing in your life. He'll do anything and everything he can to get you to open your heart to him because he cares for you and he's patient. So he said, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. How's he going to do that? So Jesus turned to the paralyzed men and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. You think that might revolutionize a church service? I think it would. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Now I want to focus on just a couple of words, because here's another lesson in priorities that comes out of this passage. And the first is the concept of the roof. Now a while ago, I said to you, don't be orthodox or unorthodox, but be more than orthodox. Would you say that these four guys were a little bit more than orthodox? It's not usually that's how you enter a house. Now you know what else struck me as I was praying through this passage? I'm pretty sure that there were other sick people out there who never made it into Jesus and maybe never got healed because they wouldn't consider doing anything as unorthodox as going up on the roof and taking the roof tiles out and lowering somebody into Jesus' presence. They simply wouldn't go that far outside the norm. And so guess what? They went home sick. Wow. But these guys were willing to step outside of what was, what, what was orthodox in order to receive something that they recognized was really the opportunity of a lifetime. Wow. The second thing I want you to see is this. The word forgiven. When these four guys lugged their buddy up on top of the roof and they took the roof tiles out and they lowered him down, do you think that they lowered him down so they could hear the word forgiven? Can't you see it in their eyes? 
these guys, they're lowering him down, you know, and okay, a little bit, a little bit, no, no, too much on your side, okay, and they get trying to keep the guy level so he doesn't roll off and so forth. They get him all down in front of Jesus, and they can't wait to hear Jesus say, take up your mat and walk and go home, rise and be healed, or some great thing like that. And, 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 and as they lower him down, there's a hush that comes over the crowd, and they wait for Jesus' words. And Jesus looks at him and says, son, and they're thinking, here it is. Your sins are forgiven. What? We didn't come for that. I mean, there's more important stuff. Well, maybe there's... Think about that for a minute. They didn't come to hear the word forgiven. They came to hear the word healed. There's a wonderful teaching principle here. Take a look. Jesus had a higher priority than comfort or convenience. What was it this man wanted? Now, by the way, no one would fault anyone for bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus so that the man could not be paralyzed and he could walk and do things that everybody else wants to do. Okay, There's nothing wrong with that. However, the man had a greater need than the ability to walk. You know what's really interesting about this? I know, just by looking at at your face and just by testing my own heart, I know that internally we struggle with all of that. Because when these guys are bringing this paralyzed guy to Jesus, we're all going, yeah, way to go, guys. You're getting it. And when they take the guy up on the roof, that's really great. Yes, you're willing to do the extraordinary thing in order to get him healed. How great is that? And yet, It's so easy for us. We want to get caught in a dilemma. Let's just suppose that Jesus could only grant one desire. Would you rather have Jesus say to him, rise and be healed and walk the rest of your life, but live in eternal separation from God because your sins are not forgiven? Or would you rather have Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven. Enjoy eternity with God. But I'm sorry. You'll have to stay on the mat for the rest of this life. That really struggles with our scale of priorities, doesn't it? Now, by God's grace, Jesus didn't have to say either one of those. But you know what Jesus did? Here's the teaching principle. The teaching principle is Jesus doesn't care why we come to Him. But before He meets our immediate need, He will address our eternal one. I've known people who started to come to church because their marriage was on the rocks. And they came and they said, Oh, if God, I mean, God's the only one who could heal our marriage. If God would just heal our marriage, why, that'd just really be wonderful. And they had no intention of anything except hopefully God could save their marriage. I have a really good friend who confessed to me after he had been coming to church for about a year. He said, You know, Ron, I had no intention of becoming a Christian when I started coming to church which I thought was a rather interesting statement. (laughs) 
So I said to him, why'd you come then? He said, well, we were pregnant with our first child and we wanted our child to be raised in a conservative environment and we said, find a church, that's conservative. <laughs> and so we started coming to church. Not today, the guy's a wonderful Christian who just makes many sacrifices for God's kingdom. But it started with just wanting to raise their daughter in a conservative environment. I've known other people who come because they're facing some serious health issue and they think, I've heard that sometimes people get healed at church. You want to know the silliest reason I've ever heard for someone to go to church? True story happened right here. A lady in the church who kept inviting her friend saying, you have to come to new life. Eh, I don't want to go to church. You have to come to new life. It's a great place and my life's been so changed. Nah, none of that registered on her Richter scale. Well, after, I don't know, six or eight or nine months of that, when they were together one day, the one lady said to the other, you'll be so happy for me, I'm going to go to church this Sunday. You know, well, yeah, I am, but where are you going? Are you going to New Life? She said, no, no, she didn't say New Life. She said, are you coming to my church? And she said, no, I heard that there's this pastor in town who's a dead ringer for Garth Brooks. <laughs> so I'm going to go check him out. She said, you're coming to our church. <laughs> you know the end of that story? She became a Christian. You know, God doesn't care why you come. Isn't that wacky? God doesn't care why you come if you just come. Because when God begins to speak into your life, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to recognize His love and His care for you, and you're going to start to open your heart, no matter how slowly, you're going to start to open your heart, and just as you continue that process, eventually God will reach into your heart and begin to change your life and lovingly minister to you. Or you're going to close your heart even more, but one way or the other, you will have made a choice. This morning as we close, just two questions I want to pose to you. The first one is this. What is your scale of priorities? Virtually all of us, when the pressure is on, there's some ugly things that rise to the surface. For some of us, it's screaming at our kids. For some of us, it's accusing our wives or our husbands. For some of us, it's gossip. For some of us, who knows what it is? It's dishonesty. But whatever it is, in virtually all of our lives, when the pressure is on, there's some ugliness that comes to the surface. Well, what that's telling you is that that ugliness is still a part of your scale of priorities. And the Lord would say, let's deal with that this week. I want to challenge you. Here's the solution to that. No matter how inconvenient or unpopular, choosing right values and behaviors today will adjust your scale of priorities appropriately. So that's the challenge for this week. Let's live today right. Everything about today, let's live right. Because it will help set priorities for tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And then the last question, 
is the only question at the end of your life that makes any difference. And that is, are your sins forgiven? That's where Jesus started. Are your sins forgiven? And you know, as off-base as the Pharisees were and as misguided as they were, they had one thing right and they understood one thing and I want to share it with you this morning because it is the solution and here it is. Only God can forgive sins. You may forgive yourself. Your husband or your wife may forgive you. (laughs) But you know in the end, if the God who gave you life and before whom you will stand one day and the God who wants to invite you into His eternal home to live with Him, if He doesn't forgive you, nobody else's forgiveness really matters in that moment. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, thank You so much for speaking so directly into the priorities of our lives. And thank You so much for living in such a way that You continually drew people to what was most important. And Father, we come this morning confessing that it's so easy for us to lose focus on what should be the most important things in life. And so this morning, we come asking You to reveal to us the things in our scale of priority that should not be there. And Lord, here's our promise to You. As You bring them to mind and as You raise them to the surface of our lives, our promise to You is that we will take You by the hand this week and we will start dealing with them. And then Lord, thank You for confronting us through this story with the one and only supreme question in life, are our sins forgiven? And we're so grateful that, Lord Jesus, you weren't just a miracle worker, that above and beyond and more important than your ability to work miracles is your ability to save and to forgive us. So would you help us today to choose that forgiveness? I pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.